right, so I said I'd never used like an iPad or anything to use, but I've fallen victim to technology. So this is the first time I've used this iPad during a sermon, but I also have it written out, so bear with me. If um, First, I want to say whoever has the uh, duty of cleaning the meeting house. I want to apologize for the trail of grass you see. I'm quite confident that's mainly contributed by me. <laughs> so I'll, I'll do, uh, do my best not to track so much grass in here in the future. Um, when I was in, uh, sorry, when I was in Talil, uh, we would often go out in our, in the course of our duties and, attempting to project democracy. And in doing so, what we do is we, we put together uh, motorcades where we take three or four or five or six cars and we go from our base to wherever it is we need to go. And I remember going to a place called Samawa, which is in uh, southern Iraq, um, not far from Ur. And we went to this venue that was like a joint operations center and we took some people there for meetings and whatnot. And uh, my job at the time was a tactical commander. And it was my res responsibility <coughs> to get our motorcade from the base to the venue that we were going to. So I handled the routes. I handled all the directions, uh, rode in the lead vehicle, and ensured that our motorcade got there safely. And when we get there, we set up security on this venue, make sure everything's OK. We go in, check everything out, and then we allow our principals to come in and hold their meeting. And I remember setting up security and my driver, Casey, I had just got everything done and I, I had made myself a sandwich, which I often do. And I was starting to eat my sandwich and he said, hey, Gunny, you see that fellow over there behind that car out in the street? And I looked up and I seen the guy he was talking about and I said, yeah. And he said, man, I bet you the rest of your sandwich that he's gonna reach in that trunk, grab something and take off running. And I said, man, you're crazy. There's, there's no way you can know that. And he said, you, you, just, you watch. And I said, well, I'm not betting my sandwich, but we'll see what happens. And a couple minutes later, sure enough, this guy did something strange, hit the trunk of this vehicle, lifted it up, grabbed something out of the back, and took off running. And I said, man, how did you know that was going to happen? And he said, man, the guy just looks like a thug. He just looked like he was up to something. And I know those kind of people because I was a cop. So he was used to seeing things. And through the knowledge that he had of the way people acted, he knew certain things were going to happen. Part of the sermon today is about the same thing about God knowing us. Um, I was listening to a sermon that Kyle gave. I'm not sure when it was. But to paraphrase somewhere, somewhere in that sermon, he said that God... God sees you and he knows you and he loves you and that we need to trust in him. So I want you to think about a few things today. The title of the sermon is, I see you, I know you, I love you, trust in me. But I want you to think about these points independently just for a few seconds. And I want you to imagine, uh, however you might have yourself in the presence of God and God looking at you and saying, I see you. 
I know you. I love you. Trust in me. So the sermon today is coming from the Word of God, and I'll be using the New King James Version if I can make it through. Uh, it's important to understand that in giving the sermon, I do believe that the Scripture is the inspired Word of God. I don't think it's an opinion. I don't think it's a, a really good book that a bunch of really good dudes wrote. I do take it to be 100% the inspired word of God. So understand that I'm not saying things that I think to be true. I'm simply telling you what the scriptures say. So this isn't an opinion-based sermon. Um, I'm not giving you my opinion. I may add a few comments in, but this is strictly from the word of God as I believe to be the word of God. If you don't believe that the scriptures are the inspired word of God, and you're not 100% confident in that, then I'm sure that the brethren here today would be more than happy to discuss that with you to allow us to uh, show you evidence that the scriptures are, in fact, the inspired word of God. It's not just a book that a bunch of really good dudes wrote. Like my a Jewish friend of mine that I work with says, yeah, the New Testament, man, that's cool. It's a really good book, and some cool dudes wrote that. And I'm, I'm trying to tell him every day how wrong he is, but he just won't listen. So first and foremost, I see you. I'm going to be going through a lot of scriptures, so uh, forgive me if I go too fast. I'll try to remember to keep it slow. I am going to be again reading from the King, New King James Version, uh, but I'll let you know what scriptures I'm reading if you'd like to follow along. The scriptures give us uh, several examples of God seeing us. And if you would like, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll begin there. And as just remember as we read this, that as, as we create something, if you've ever made anything, um, you watch what you're doing. You, you don't just close your eyes and make something. You watch what you're doing as you make it. Um, if we draw something, we're looking at what we're drawing as we draw. And as we build something, we look. I'm sure when Charlie was building houses and churches, he didn't just close his eyes and build them. He looked at what he was doing. He measured things. He took account of what he was doing as he put it together so he could see what he was creating. And God did the same thing. And I'm going to read a little bit here in Genesis 1. Keep in mind that God sees us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, let there be a firmament, a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, so the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. 
And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and he gathered together the waters, and he called, he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass and herb that yields seed and a fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, so the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind and God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying be fruitful let birds multiply on the earth so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Then God said let the earth bring forth a living creature according to its kind cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to its kind, cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food. <clears throat> and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. From the very beginning, God is letting us know that he sees us. He sees everything. It's not some things he sees. It's not just the good things or just the bad things. But from the beginning, it's very clear that God is saying, I see everything. I see what I'm doing. I see what's going on. I see what I've created. I see you. To make someone in his image, he has to see him. So it's clear that God sees us. <clears throat> There's another example of this in Jonah. Jonah in 2 Kings 14.25 was used by God to deliver the good news that uh, Israel would experience a time of safety and prosperity. God also used Jonah to deliver a warning to the pagans in Nineveh. Nineveh was a, an evil city. Um, in Jonah 1, 1 and 2, we read, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, 
for their wickedness has come up before me. So God's seen their wickedness. He's seen the wickedness that was going on in Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Um, he knew how wicked the city was, so instead of going east to Nineveh, he tried to go west to, uh, to Tarshish, which I think that from, I don't know firsthand, but from what it said, it's what is now known as Spain or that general area. And God saw that as we see in Jonah 1 and 2. And moving into Jonah chapter 3, we see that Jonah goes to Nineveh and delivers God's message. The people of Nineveh responded to God's message. Then in Jonah 3.10, or Jonah 3.10, we read, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Again, God seen what was going on. He seen the change that was made. And he acted accordingly. Another Old Testament example is seen in Genesis 4. Turn with me to Genesis 4 in chapters 1 through 6. Genesis 4, chapters 1 through 6. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. <coughs> Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. <coughs> when I look up countenance, the definition I find is... Um, an emotion on your face. So it, it's, it's something that physically happens, and the only way you can tell that someone's countenance, if I'm saying that word right, falls, is if you see their face. You, you can't tell from a voice if somebody's countenance falls, but you can tell by looking at their face. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? So that means that God's seen his face. God's seen how he was feeling and what he was doing. God saw the expression on the face of Cain. And rest assured, God sees us too. He sees you. A New Testament exa example can be seen in Mark 10. Turn with me to Mark 10. Chapters thir or verse 13 through 16. Starting in verse 13 of Mark 10, Then they brought little children to him, that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. So not only does God see us from heaven, but when Jesus was on the earth, he saw us too. He was among us, and he had vision. He's seen what was going on, he's seen what we did, and he's seen what others do. So through God and through Christ, they, we are seen. Even greater, turn with me to Matthew 3, 13. 
Matthew 3, 13. In Matthew... Three and thirteen, I'm gonna have to talk to the sound guy. We read, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? <clears throat> but Jesus answered and said to him, Permitted to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God seen everything that was going on, and he was pleased with Jesus. He was pleased with his Son. God recognizes his son, and he was pleased. God sees us. He sees everything. Not only does God see us, but he knows us. In Psalm, turn with me to Psalms 139. Psalms 139, verses 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and know me, and known me. <clears throat> you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Another example can be seen in Exodus. <clears throat> now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. So then the Lord saw that he turned aside to look. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I, here am, I, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place to take your, sand, take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. God knows the sorrow that we go through and that those before us went through. Another example can be seen in Psalms 44, verses 20 and 21. If we had forgotten the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of our heart. Not only does he know what you're doing, does he know what you're doing, but he knows what's in your heart. Psalm 69 and 5, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. 
I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause the more, are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being my enemies wrongfully. Though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Oh God, you know my foolishness, and my sins are not hidden from you. In Ezekiel 11, verses 5 through 12, Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, Speak, thus says the Lord. Thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. You have multiplied your slain in this city, and you have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, your slain whom you have laid in the midst, they are the meat, and this city is the cauldron. But I shall bring you out of the midst of it. You have feared the midst and delivered, and delivered you into the hands of strangers and execute judgments on you. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you at the border of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This city shall not be your cauldron, nor shall you be the meat in its midst. I will judge you at the border of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord, for you have not walked in my statutes, nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles which are all around you. He knows what we're doing. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13. Let us therefore be diligent to enter the rest, lest anyone fail Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give account. And if you would, please turn with me to Revelation In Revelation 2, verses 1 through 3, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. Verse 8, And, the angel of the, to, the, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Verse 12, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos write, these things says he who is a who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days which Antipas was my father, was my faithful martyr, who is killed among you where Satan dwells. <clears throat> Verse 18 and 19, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things I say, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. In verse 3, chapter 1 of Revelation, and to the angel of the church of Sardis write, 
These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. And 14 and 15. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. It's quite clear that from the beginning of time to the end that God knows us and he knows what we're doing and he knows what's in our heart. It's all throughout the Bible. There's no doubt that God knows us. Not only does he see us and know us, but he loves us. And how do we know that? Well, we see proof of this in several places. Turn with me to Zephaniah. Zephaniah. In Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. We will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. We will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they are, they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back. Even at that time, I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among the peoples of the earth. When I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. In Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 13. When the Lord our God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergesites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations gather and mightier than you, greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly, and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son, for they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars and break down their sacred pillars and cut down their wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set this love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you. He chose them because he loves them and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. <clears throat> Therefore know that the Lord your God he is God and faithful, the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And he repays those who hate him 
to their face to destroy them. He will not slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment, the statutes, and the judgments which I command you today to observe them. Blessings of obedience. Then it shall come to pass because you listen to the judgments and keep, keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flock, and the land of which he swore to your brothers to give you, to your fathers to give you. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. <clears throat> John 15, 9 through 7, Christ tells us, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than he than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I, call, but I called you friends. For all things that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and, hear fruit, and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. And probably one of the most... <clears throat> I know it was the first verse I ever memorized when I was going to uh, Victory Baptist Church of Louisville. A little bus came and picked us up on the corner every Sunday. And Mom and Dad put us on the corner, bus picked us up, and I got saved every week. So I haven't, you know, I, I thought I had been saved like a thousand times. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The, the greatest gift of all. <clears throat> um, most of us have children. I, I couldn't even imagine sacrificing one of my children, which may be part of the reason I didn't have to do it because God knows that we probably couldn't do that. You would hope that you would be able to do that if required by God, um, as some were, but uh, it, it would be difficult. Knowing that God sees us and knows us and loves us, we need to trust in him. We see early on that Adam trusted God in Genesis. If you'll turn to Genesis 15, we're going to look at chapters 1 through 6. Genesis 15. <clears throat> After these things, the word of the Lord came to... Did I say Adam? I meant Abram. The word came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house to Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, 
you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. He believed in God and trusted in him. Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, for whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by waters, which spreads out its roots in the river, and will fear when heat comes, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. <clears throat> and the one example I want that has always stood out to me about trusting is that of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, <clears throat> when I was in Hilla in Babylon, uh, the there's said to be remnants of the, firm, the furnace, and I wish I, of course, there's no way to tell if it's actually the furnace, but I'd always wished I could got out there, gone out to see it, but I wasn't able to. But uh, in Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Uh, his dream was revealed through Daniel. Um, and then Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were all promoted. And then in chapter 3, we see that uh, Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. You want to turn with me real quick before we close here to Daniel 3. Starting in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon and the king Nebuchadnezzar sent the word together. The governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to the dedication of the image. So imagine how big and grand a ceremony this was. This was something that was huge. I mean, here this king is making a golden image and ordering all these people come. <clears throat> and reading through Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar gave the command that when you hear the, the instruments and you hear the playing, everybody's going to bow down. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... Uh, disobeyed the king. And starting in chapter 8, therefore at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship it shall be cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews among you who have there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was mad. Uh, in a rage and fury, he gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music, 
and you fall down and worship the image that I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, <clears throat> O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we don't serve your gods, nor will we worship the image which you have set up. They didn't even give him the courtesy. We don't even have to answer you, man. It, it's not, we don't care. Do whatever you're going to do. It doesn't matter what happens to us. So, and that's easy for us to imagine standing here today in an air-conditioned church, but imagine being in front of a fiery furnace. Things are a little different. People say that uh, before they go into battle in harm's way that, uh, that they gain a respect and a fear of God. And I can tell you that's absolutely true. But not even to this extent. Because we think about what's going to happen to us. We think about where we're going. We think about the harm's way that we're about to be in. But these guys seen and felt the heat from the furnace. And when they came out of the furnace, if you continue to read, not a hair was bothered on their head. Their clothes weren't bothered. And they didn't even smell of smoke. They didn't even smell of smoke having been in the fiery furnace. So it's important that we trust in God. Throughout God's word, we're reminded that he sees us, he knows us, and he loves us, and that we need to trust in him. When we do that, there's a few things that we need to do. We're told to believe in him in John 8, 24. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Acts 16, 31. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. <clears throat> so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prisoners' doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, "Do not do yourself no harm, for we're all here." Then he called. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all that were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought him into this house and set the food before them, he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And we need to repent of our sins, as we see in Acts 3.19. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And in Acts 2.38, when Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, that you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you have to be baptized. If you haven't done that, then we have water available here today if you choose to come forth as we stand and as we sing. <clears throat>